You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to We finally did it guys. We finally did it. We have made it into Mark chapter 2. So here we are. Mark chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. And let me read 1 and 2 just to get us kind of kicked off. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. So Jesus is going around. He is doing his thing. He has healed people. He has taught people. He has created a following. And we should note here that he returns home to Capernaum. So while Jesus is is born in Bethlehem, according to some of the scriptures, uh, there's a recognition that he is a Nazarene born at Nazareth by others. We need to recognize too that this uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, seems to indicate that regardless of where he was born, his home seems to be set up in Capernaum, at least according to this scripture. And, uh, and just to know that is kind of a scholarly fact. But then we jump into this idea that he gets to this house and and his following is there. He's developed a reputation that people want to come and hear him and see him and, and watch what he does. And so here he is in Capernaum. He's in this home and the house is packed. I mean, it is filled with people to the point where there are people outside the door trying to get in who can't. There's just not enough room. And At that point, we get into the story, which is verses 3 through 5. Four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, I want to say, we don't know a lot about this paralyzed man's story. My, My guess is that this man hadn't always been paralyzed. Whatever, whatever the background is to this man, he, he hadn't always been paralyzed. At one time, he had a, a life of activity where he built really deep friendships. And these four men seemed to, to not only know him, but love him and be willing to do something, I think, deep on his behalf. Like there's a commitment here. And they couldn't bring Jesus through the door, right? Because the crowd is so great. So it says four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now this gets really intense. It's one thing to take a paralyzed man and everybody grab a corner 
and take this man through the door. It's another thing to say, like, that's not going to happen, but hell or high water, we're going to make this happen. And for these men to then climb up on top of the home, remove the straw or whatever it is that makes up the roof, and and then to get this paralyzed man onto the roof, and then as we find out, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of risk here. There's a lot of risk of somebody getting hurt. There's a lot of risk of this just not working, this not this failing. And we ought to recognize the commitment and the sacrifice of these four friends of this man. Verse 5, seeing their faith. Now, we all come to grips in this story that the man wants something and he gets something and he gets something extra. But we also ought to stop and at least be cognizant that Jesus is pointing to the four men's faith, not the paralyzed man. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon happening here. All of us, to one extent or another, hide our true selves from those around us. And in earlier stages of development, we deeply shield others from seeing our real selves. And even we even do that with those that we love the most. Even those folks that we care deeply about, we give them what we want them to see, and we hold back what we don't want them to see. And as we move into deeper stages of development, we begin to value authenticity and we begin to value vulnerability in real feet on the ground kinds of ways. Now, the four men seem to be bringing this paralyzed man in an effort to get Jesus to heal him. That's, that's what they want to happen the, the paralyzed man seems to have something else that is spiritually burdening him. Like, yeah, it'd be great if I could walk again, but I'm carrying this burden and my greatest want is that, that I would be forgiven by God for whatever it is that I've done that you don't know about. And Jesus doesn't know because anybody's said it, He simply perceives that the most important thing for this man in this moment is to forgive him of his sins. Most of us even go so far as to shield ourselves deeply from even our spouse, from our good friends, and from our parents and our children. We perceive what others expect of us and we deeply give what they want and we shield others from what they don't want or what we don't want them to see. As we move out of ethnocentricity, we slowly lose the need to keep a facade. In this case, it's important to note that this man has an outward issue. He is paralyzed. All can see the outward issue. All would suppose this man has been lowered down to be healed, and even his friends likely understand that as the main need. But instead... Christ chooses to do something for him that no one likely perceived except for him, but which I get the impression was foremost 
on the man's mind when he was racked with worry over his standing before God. It is completely unnatural for any stander by to even have thought such about the man. Like when things happen like this, our brain is trained to go to the most reasonable explanation for why that thing happened and to stop right there. If we see a paralyzed man lowered down the roof to this man who is known for performing miracles, we are only left to assume that this man, his number one priority is to be healed. What happens is something that Jesus perceives, but which others would have been oblivious to. So while we speak here about about how each of us shield others to convey what we want them to see or that which we fear sharing with others, the other side of the coin is that when you are in a room of those in later stages of development, you'll find that something interesting occurs. One, you recognize that your life is filled with shallow relationships where you and all others are constantly hiding your true selves from others. I I hope you can understand this. When you belong in a tribe and and it's important to fit in that tribe, you shape your answers, your thoughts, what you reveal and what you choose not to reveal based on whether you're going to be accepted and approved by that tribe. That tribe can be a group of co-workers. That tribe can be your family. That tribe can be your religious congregation. But when you are in ethnocentricity, you're very much holding back and giving that which is not real. And so these relationships become superficial. Like you belong and you're one of us and we love you. So long as you fit and you walk and you talk like the rest of us. The moment you say say like, I'm different than you and here's how I'm different. And that difference seems to run counter to what the tribe approves of. You will quickly learn that many of those relationships are superficial that you are my loved one, you are my friend, so long as you conform and fit. When you move out of ethnocentricity and you more deeply value authenticity and vulnerability, you suddenly recognize that many of the friendships and relationships you had are deeply diminished or disconnected altogether. Number two, once you see it, And it being that most of the relationships in your life are superficial, once you see it, it no longer interests you. Instead, you need and even crave deep, authentic relationships. You will take exponentially less friends if those friendships are real and deep and authentic and vulnerable. And you are lucky. You are lucky if you can find one such person. And it is a miracle if you can find several. But that's what you want. You want relationships that are real. You want people to talk about your shadows and you to talk about theirs and to work out. Like, what are you really made of? And what are you really worried about? And and what, what is really going on here? 
where in ethnocentricity, you might think I've got a hundred friends and they love me and they like me and I'm part of the group. For instance, if you're in a religious congregation, a religious congregation that is relatively close, you see each other every week, you go out to dinner with other couples during the week, you spend time talking about your kids and what they're doing and how your job's going. But when you leave ethnocentricity and these people perceive that you no longer quite fit in the club, these relationships become diminished or these people disconnect altogether. And you soon realize that these relationships were indeed superficial, many of them. Now, some folks will still hold on, but again, with some diminished sense of relationship, you are going to be lucky if you find one, and it's a miracle if you find a few people who are also moving through this development and crave your authenticity and your vulnerability and want to really live in that space where things get real and people see your shadows and love you because of them, not in spite of them. Number three, like Jesus, you begin to get good. It becomes a gift at seeing others, seeing their hearts, even as everyone else in the room misses it. While everyone else is looking at the outward paralyzed man, you will sense that that person is broken in other ways. You will develop an ability to see body language, to understand why people use the words they do in the situations they do, what they're withholding, and when they're giving. And it is a spiritual gift that comes with this development. As I sit in conversations with people, as we're being vulnerable, as we're being authentic, you can easily pick out those in the room who are still shielding themselves, who are still withholding things from themselves. In the job that I work, I used to live in Ohio four years ago. And because of what I do in having these religious conversations and trying to help people into development, one of the listeners to another podcast that I do, they, he approached me, him and his wife said, look, we, we think you're incredible. We'd like you to work for us. And so a conversation ensues where I'm trying to win them over and get this job because it's going to be a significant difference for me and my family. And they're trying to win me over to want to apply for this job. But both sides also realize this may fall apart. And so both sides are choosing their words carefully. They're giving what they want to give and they're holding back what they want to hold back. This was four years ago. Now I'm four years further into this development. And this couple and me and my wife were friends. And we're not just friends. We're like real friends, like authenticity and honesty and vulnerability are deeply valued. And so the two of them and the two of us, we've had conversations about that initial experience of, of the job being available and them wanting me and me wanting the job and the shielding that went on. 
And we've had very vulnerable conversations about here's what I gave you and here's what I didn't give you. And, and, and then the other side would say, yeah, but this is what I gave you and this is what I didn't give you. And in the midst of that, there was one moment where I was about to share something. And, and then he says, like, I already know what that is. It's this. And he reveals this thing I was shielding from him in this, in this uh, initial conversation about this employment. You'll develop, as you move into these stages, you'll develop the ability to see what people are withholding from you. You'll just see it. And you'll develop an ability to know when people are being authentic, to know when people are on these journeys, and to sense when people are being real with you. Now, we know the ending of this story. The Pharisees... Or, or others that are in the home begin to think to themselves. And I'm sure there's a few whispers as well, but the scripture indicates that they're thinking to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And the scripture tells us that Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Now, I know we want to attribute this to God gives him the impression in more of a magical sense. But that's not what I see. I see Jesus who in a later stage looks around the room and he has developed a spiritual gift. And I'm okay naming it that God is speaking to him. But it's through this ability to be vulnerable. It's through this gift of authenticity and the gift that comes with that of being able to read people and to sense what is unsaid. That Jesus looks around the room and likely sees the body language, the raised eyebrows, the laughing and smiles turning to something else on a few of their faces. That he perceives that they're questioning his imposition that the man's sins be forgiven. And I love the answer. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Jesus gave this man what he wanted And Jesus gave this man's friends what they came for too. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again on another episode of the Mythical Jesus podcast, where we take the Christ of faith seriously. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing